gentlemen, you have um, the unseen hand here of the unseen hand of opposing the matrix. Got Ralph Epperson over there. You know what's weird, Ralph, is when I view this later on, this is, this finger is going to be pointing that way. That's I don't, it's very confusing. I don't understand that either. Yeah, it's it's bizarre, and I don't know. But anyway, yeah, we're geniuses, are we? We had to know make this program work, right? That's right. That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ralph, what are we doing today? I have a potpourri of uh, comments and pictures, etc. Uh, that I think are pertinent to the whole discussion. Then I've got a series on uh, the, the flood of Noah and the importance of what what really caused it because science doesn't admit it. And we're going to try to expose a scientist who does admit it and he's right. Oh, okay, cool. And then secondly, if we have time, and I think we will, we'll get into a little review of uh, Walt Disney. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that's something we need to hear. So, okay, so let's, let's, let's proceed, sir. Now, this is the way we do this. <laughs> Put $500 cash in an envelope and then mail it to yourself. If you don't have the guts to do this because you're afraid it's going to get lost, you had better, you had better vote in person this November. Very good. Does that make sense to you? Perfect sense, yeah. Okay, now this this is this. I think we probably start out with a jolt. This will be a jolt. I believe this is a jolt, and this is not pleasant. I'm serious. Wait till you see what this is. The following picture comes from a newsletter that I get each month from the Patriot in Australia. I met him several years ago at a summer camp when he brought his children to be campers, and I was on staff as a teacher. By the way, uh, at the bottom of these, you're going to see numbers, sometimes small, sometimes big. Disregard that. That's just for my internal work. Page one of three. So this is what he said in his newsletter. These are his comments. In Melbourne, I believe it was a ninth network, apparently a TV channel, journalist Lana Murphy is, seeing, is seen displaying a sign which reads. Okay. I'm going to show you the picture, and I don't think you'll be able to read it. But if, if you struggle, you can make it out. But I don't worry, I printed it out big. Okay. This is the picture he sent. Okay, the picture. And it's got it's got the, a blonde lady uh, yeah. grasping a sign, and another person has their hand on it. Is, too. She, is she upset or is she smiling? She's smiling, it looks like. Yes, of course. So there she is. It's something about abortion. Yeah, yeah, something about abortion. Wait till you read what she put aside on her sign. Mary, the virgin, should have had an abortion. Oh, boy. Can you believe that? A little bit Can, of blasphemy. Kind of, even if she thinks it's a joke, that's not a joke. No, it's not. Mm -mm. I think of the world where we'd be without Jesus. That's right. And this is the way he concluded it. He concludes, this is an example in my this example in my view is symptomatic of our pathetic media today. I'll be darned. The media in Australia is a little uh, uh, 
you left as well. Yeah. I guess we're still lucky in America. Okay, now this is a picture. I want you to describe what you see in this picture. I'm not going to make any comment. Okay. I see a guy at um, some kind of an event. He's got his his baseball cap on backwards, but he's using his hand to shade the sun out of his eyes. It's called sunshade. <laughs> uh, is that is that sure? Is it, which uh, which uh, PhD and uh, which uh, uh, graduate school do you think he went? Uh, um, University of Arizona. Oh, that's that's not Arizona. Oh, okay. But I I have to admit this is it's possible that this was a joke, and uh-huh. it's or it could very well be. He's at a baseball game, and when you wear a big baseball hat, the purpose of the visor is to keep the sun out of your eyes, but he's got his hand there. This is called genius. He's got to be a graduate of Harvard. Yeah, there you go. Okay, now, we're going to look at some pictures of some Emerson relatives. Okay. My great-great-great-grandfather, General Silas Retreat Epperson, June 2nd, 1863, six hours before the Battle of Old Tucson. Now, I've, I've taken out the picture of a relative of mine, but uh, well, it, it, it blew out. But I, I don't want... This is only me. I Okay. Wow. Handsome gentleman. Come on. A general in the Epperson family? Yeah. Which army? Does he show? Uh, <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's a Confederate. Yeah, it looks like it. came from Tennessee. So oh, okay. There you go. Tennessee, one of the original 13 states, 11 states? I don't remember. Yeah, Tennessee. Tennessee it was? Okay. Yeah. Oh, Come on, you can see the man. This is in charge. He's in command, and that's why they call him retreat. Uh-huh. And after the battle of the old Tucson, when he signed, okay, Emerson, uh, move your troops forward. He turned and left, but he said he was a retreat. Uh-huh. Did okay, you run now, or did this, you walk? <laughs> this, this is uh, we we have talked before just a few minutes ago. About this, I, we've got to study this. This is that Martha Vineyard thing. No, oh. the island of Martha's Vineyard. We respect women. We value Black lives. We stand with our LGBTO community members. We stand with immigrants, with refugees, with indigenous people, and with people of all faiths. We stand with with our community. All are welcome here. And this is an actual sign, or actually copy, of the sign that was on Facebook on September 15, 2022. Uh, is this called hypocrisy? What did these people do when they got 50 uh, 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 immigrants and refugees? They went to Zerg. So they fed them one meal, I think. with Cheerios and milk, I guess, and some sort of soup or something. Yeah. And then moved them off. Dave, we talked about this. I want to. I would urge us to read it again. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. 
<clears throat> the island of Martha's Vineyard. We respect women. We, re- we value black lives. We stand with our LGBTO community. I think it's supposed to be Q. Community members. We stand with immigrants, with refugees, with indigenous people, and with people of all faiths. We stand with our community. All are welcome here. Is that true? No. All are welcome. Uh, uh, I don't believe I don't believe that that last sentence is true, but everything else I think is true. What is this called? Hypocrisy, fraud in its highest form. Yeah. It, it, this is disgusting. It's, you know, they're entitled to say that, mm-hmm. but when they get a chance to let it live, one minute. They're gone. Right. 46 hours or 44 hours later, they're gone. Yeah. Wait a minute. This is... Sad state of affairs. Uh, oh, I, I I meant to put a, put a picture. But let's, let's do this. This is just a, a note that I made, and I think we should cover. Let's cover the black, the dark stuff. Okay, AOL, a picture of a beautiful woman with this caption. Arizona will cover the cost, cover the cost to install solar panels. Where does the state get that money to do this? Huh? Taxes. Oh, but wait a minute. I don't have to pay. It's free. Mm-hmm. But somebody pays for No, no, it's free, Rob. Free means free. Does it? This is common. This is just drives you crazy. Mm-hmm. They, they, people bang on my door to get free. I say, listen, someone else has to pay for it. I don't want to pay for it. Right. I don't want solar, but I'm going to have to pay for someone else. And my next door neighbor got solar because I had to pay for it. Right. Listen, we Eppersons are very wise and frugal in, in, in purchasing land in Arizona. Mm-hmm. So my my father, way back in the 30s, swapped, I think it was land for work he did. In other words, he got, instead of getting dollars, he got land. Right. When it was like 25 cents an acre. Mm-hmm. Now this, that piece of land right there, you know, maybe you can't see it. Wagons, but are, wagons across the Epperson. Yeah, that that is Epperson's land. That's my my father got paid when he was alive. He got paid like twenty dollars to let this movie run across run across their their uh, uh, oh, our land. Over. I said they run horses or make stage coach on them. So who is in it? Uh, what's it? What was it called? Uh, Riding High, Dorothy Lamour, something Powell, and something more. I can't read the names. Cool. But see, we, we Epperson's, we're movie stars. Yes, you are, Mr. Selleck. Okay, here's another picture of an Epperson relative. See, we're going to cover some pretty scary stuff, so we have to laugh and joke. Mm-hmm. My great, great, great uncle, Jesse Slowdraw Epperson, Tombstone, Arizona, May 24th, 1882. Mm-hmm. 
Oh no, I'll show you the picture for Can you see that we Eppersons have a, we pass on our brilliant looks and our good looks from one generation to another. So that's me, me my generation there, wearing boots, he's got a gun. He looks like, boy, he's a gambler and going to shoot down. But his name was Slow, slow Draw Epperson. And <laughs> this picture was taken just two days before Jesse met up with Billy Quick Draw Simmons. <laughs> so I, 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 I commemorate the death of my. No, this isn't fun. This is not funny. But I, I have never seen this until I think, well, I'm going to read. I already did. My friend in, in uh, Australia has a newsletter. This picture was in his newsletter. I've never seen it before. But I identified what it was what it was. President Joe Biden and Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum, date unknown. Yeah, figures. Traders. What is that? What is the World Economic Forum? It's uh, it's an organization to that wants to forward a new world order. Yes, not only a new world order, we're going to be robots and contain not even human anymore. Transhumanism, yeah. Yes. And what, what's Biden doing there? Well, why why would he go there? Now I have to admit, maybe he's maybe he's looking for a brain. <laughs> Or the courage to talk to makes sense. Yeah. I don't know when that picture was taken, but that is one of the most disgusting pictures I've ever seen. I agree. Yeah. Uh, this is a reminder. God made both male and female. Genesis 1, 26-27. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female, he created them. That's the standard. Mm -hmm. Did God create the universe or not? Yes. Did he create 27 genders? No. How many? How many genders did he create? Two. Two. Male and female. Where are they? Male and female. So when you get fixed by the uh, HRT or whatever they call that stuff, they cut off, forgive me, cut off your breasts or your genitalia and change you. What happens? Is that you? Which are you now? You're well, still a male or a woman? Yeah, you've got the DNA of a male or a, or a female. Yes. Excuse me. Right. The time. You, you didn't bring yours with you today? No. Well, here, I'll take, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it over to you. I'm going cold turkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when two skeptical scientists put their heads together and reach an amazing conclusion, there must be a God. Now, that is Sir Dr. Fred Hoyle and a PhD from, he teaches at Oxford and another university or something in England. His name is Chandra Wickramasinghe. He's a Buddhist or Hindu or something. And they got together, and this newspaper was in whatever date it was, eight, uh, 1981. 
1981, the Daily Express out of London. They, the newspaper concluded. There must be a God. Is that Jack Manuel maybe on Thursdays only? Hmm. What does the word must mean? Is there any way that there cannot be, a, there can be a God with a statement like that? No, there's got to be a God. It must. Like that. Yeah. These guys proved it as scientists. Mm-hmm. It's, it is so chance. The chances are like throwing 12, two dice, six and six. 50,000 50, 50, times. Wow. Let's say you do that 10 times. Boy, that's success. 10 is going to be a struggle because there's, what, 11 different combinations. Mm-hmm. There's only one combination of six and six. One could be six. The others could be five. That's 11. But to get six, to do it 10, 12 times, how about 50,000 times? That's amazing. Okay, now we can get to, we attended to the more important things. Let's get into the flood. Are we ready for the flood? Ready for the flood. Bring on the flood. Are you sitting on your little kayak there in case it comes or not? Yes, I am. I've got a a, a life preserver seat. (laughs) (laughs) The universal flood happened. That's our title. Mm-hmm. I'm going to introduce to you. Well, I can show you a picture in a minute, but let's get this thing done. Then we'll show, try to find you a picture and show he's real. Donald W. Patton has written three books. One, The Biblical Flood and the Ice, the Ice Epic in 1966. Number two, The Long, Long Day of Joshua and Six Other Catastrophes in 1973. And Catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> Catastrophism in the Old Testament in 1988. Okay. Thanks for the help with that word. Uh, well, I'll give you a B today, David. I won't, I won't be too, too strict on you. Okay. Let's start with number one. I think I showed this to you last week or whatever. Right. The biblical flood and the ice epic. Uh-huh. Now, uh, does that show that I've actually read this book or not, would you think? Yeah, or you stole it from the library. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's number two. <laughs> I warned you, you only got one more, David. <laughs> I just can't resist. <laughs> Before this program started, just for the listeners, we made a deal. I'll give him three swipes at me, but that's number two. Now, down at the bottom. Okay. Wow. By um Oh you can't read it. It's yeah, a Donald Dr. W. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wesley, okay. That's number one. Okay. The Long Day of Joshua and Six Other Catastrophes. Um that's uh, I don't know what that that that, that planet looks like Jet Neptune or whatever. It looks it's, like Saturn, yeah. And there's the Earth, I guess. I don't know. Well, that could be Mars. Because we're going to study how Mars caused the flood. Oh, no, 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 no. That was a local thing, local thing. Yeah, which is impossible. Forgive me, I've got my antenna to my lie detector there. (laughs) Catastrophism 
and the Old Testament, the Mars-Earth conflict. We're going to talk about those two circles uh, mm -hmm. later on. Uh, and I've got this marked because I'm going to show you that in the book. Okay. And we're going to talk about it. Okay. But okay. notice, these are the three books by this man. Mm -hmm. One man. Well, I'm sorry. Inside the book, he, he shows that pictures of he and four others, men of science with PhDs, and one doc, one was a, uh, oh, I can't even remember. But they're, they're all, so he actually attributes in the book pictures and say, with this, these men supporting me, this is my book. Mm -hmm. And then this book. The Genesis Flood, the biblical record, and the scientific implications. John C. Whitcomb, Jr. Okay. And Henry Morris. Henry yeah. Morris is quite famous, yeah. Yes. Well, what do you know about him? Well, I've got a couple of his books. He's a, um, a young earther that um, has presented proof for, for well, for young earth and for a, a universal flood. Well, he, he created, I think by himself, created the Institute Law Shoya. For creation research. Yes. And I have a gleaned information from Dr. Henry S. M. Morris in his book, The Genesis Flood in 1961. Okay. Here it is. This group has done more to support the truth in science about the about catastrophism than anything else I can I can say. Doctor Doctor Henry M. Morris was the founder of the Institute for Creation Research, a creationist apologetics institute in Dallas, Texas, that specializes in media. Promotion of creation science. Yeah, they, they, I think they're probably a little bit less. Uh, when it first started, it was slow, and then it went up like this, and I think it's kind of tapering off. They, they were forced out of the state of California. They had a graduate program, mm -hmm. and in school you do, but they said you don't, we don't, we don't approve of your teachers and your PhDs that are teaching PhD students. So you have to move. So they moved to Texas. That's wow. California for you. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> okay, now. Flybys discussed by catastrophism in the Old Testament. Number one, the flood of Noah, 2484 B.C. Number two, the Tower of Babel, 1944 B.C. Number three, Sodom and Gomorrah, 1887 B.C. Number four, Exodus, 1447 B.C. Number five, the Long Day of Joshua, 1404 B.C. Number six, Gideon, 1241 B.C. And the Davidic flyby, 972 B.C. Now, there's been 170 of these flybys, which means the universe was created with Mars, interacting with the earth. I'll define the word flybys and illustrate it, and then we'll discuss it about the flood. In other words, we, we wonder what happened in that caused the Tower of Babel, or Babel, whatever you want to call it, the parting of the Red Sea. What caused it? We just, the Bible says it happened. We believe it did. And so we believe it happened. Patton proves it. 
it's scientific because something was going on. Right. Okay, here we go. Let's get started. Ancient peoples from six separate continents almost invariably had a flood tradition. Yeah. Six different continents. It's over three, I think 3,000 cultures have a flood, but the, but the science says there's no flood. Right. People all over the continent road talk about it, and they say, oh, but no, no, it's just a local flood. Right. That's what it's called science. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that at the end. Uh, the chronology. Um, okay, days of rain, 40. Okay. I'm going to try to get that hold of it. Okay. okay. Days of rain, 40. Waters continue to rise, 110. Waters occupied, 74. Sent out the raven, 40. Uh, sent seven days to sending the dove, seven. Second, um, second sending of the dove, seven. Third sending of the dove, seven. 29 days elapses, 29. Removal of covering, 57. Total, 371 days. Oh, no, the flood only happened for 30 days, a local flood. No, it didn't. It took over a year. Yeah. Well, local, water seeks its own level, so how could there be a local flood? Well, we're going to talk about that because water didn't seek its level. Hold on. We're going to explore a major book. These books by Patton. Well, you'll see what I think about him at the end of the, the program. Okay. There is evidence that the atmosphere em- enveloping the Earth was very different than it is today. At one time, the entire Earth enjoyed a warm tropical environment, and there was an enhanced oxygen in the atmosphere. Yep. Okay, now what he's saying was that Venus has a cloud cover. We can't see what's inside that. Is it all clouds? Is it cloud over a, a, a planet with rocks and dirt? We don't know. But that's what we had until the flood, mm-hmm. which means the people would look up in the morning and they'd see something. They knew it was light. They were outside. They could see what's around in the trees and their children play. And then it went dark. And then the next morning it did it again. Mm-hmm. And there was something up there. They didn't know what it was. They couldn't see it because right. the cloud came. But they knew it brought light. Mm-hmm. In other words, it brought things light so that things could grow. And we could eat the animals that we could see. Right. Now, by the way, this has been very difficult because most many of those books are not written for the dummy like Ralph Epperson. But but I was technical. Able, yeah. Yeah, but I, so it's been hard to find the way to define this stuff and a way to present it to especially people who've never heard this before. Right. I've done the best I could by just stringing together a bunch of quotes that are simple, easy to, I believe, understand. And we're going to make a major proof here. As as a water canopy, the waters above the firmament produce a mild temperature from pole to pole, thus preventing air circulation and resulting resulting rain. There was no rain. There there were no clouds. Mm Mm-hmm. In the early time before the flood. Right. 
So the people walked out, they could see every anywhere they wanted when their sun was out, whatever that was, they don't even I don't think they even had a name for it until later. Right. Now that poses a very fright, a very intriguing question. It's estimated that it took Noah and his family 105 years to build the ark. Question. 105 years. How are you doing about building your ark, David? You got one getting ready for it to flood? Yeah, it is, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How did no one know that 105 years later it would rain and that would cause the 371-day flood? It never rained before the flood. How did he know? God gave him that information. See, that's the question. They don't want to deal with that. Right. Because how would anybody know about a flood when it's never rained? Mm -hmm. And rain, water... It, the, 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 the land was fed by a dew. You know, they got morning and they, there was a layer of moisture from underneath, which I guess is, and there was no wind, no hail, no nothing. Right. So how did he know? It's got, it, the only answer you can give me, because it ha this thing happened. Right. Is that God said, Noah, I mean, <laughs> you see the... <laughs> The Bill Cosby. Cosby. Yeah. <laughs> How long can you tread water? <laughs> <laughs> In 105 years. Now, he had two sons, and I doubt whether anybody helped him. Mm -hmm. Three they sons. Had didn't he? Had. We don't know. Three? I'm sorry, was it three sons? Yeah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Yeah. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. That's right. There were eight people, so it was two. Forgive me. Okay, that I'll, I'll give you one for credit for correcting me politely. Yeah, one there. Okay. But don't put it up on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> it must be assumed that the people around him and his family must have thought he was a madman. Of course. Well, let's just talk about that. Can you? What are you building there, Noah? What is Noah saying? I'm building a boat, an ark. Yeah. Before. There's going to be a flood. It's going to rain. What's rain? <laughs> What's rain? What's a flood? Mm -hmm. Can you believe? This is like Ralph Epperson trying to talk to two kids who never heard this before. All right. Later, the canopy would have collapsed in the form of rain, contributing to the floodwaters and resulting in a dramatic drop-off in longevity uh, after the flood, after the deluge. And we'll show you that here in the graph. Mm -hmm. Scientists have recently determined that the atmosphere contained 50% uh, more oxygen than the air today. Uh, and now that was the search. I got that from, uh, I think that's uh, 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 Hoven. Kent Hoven? Hoven. Yeah, huh? Okay, now this is... Okay, let's. Well, I'll, I was going to read this, but since just we're going to do it the back door, we'll. I'll talk when I show you the graph. Okay, with an increase in oxygen, everything grew larger and lived longer. So that after the environment changed, after the flood, people started living shorter lifespans. This is a table showing the curve of declining longevity. 
Okay, now that's what I'm going to show you. Okay. If I can find it. I think that you. Yeah. Now, I was going to cut this out, but I don't want to ruin my book. So I, 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 I have the only way I can. I don't have a copier anymore. Right. So I'll, I'll do the best I can. Tell me what yeah. to do up north, right, left. Okay, no, it's perfect, actually. So on the left-hand side, there's, there's a vertical line, but on the left-hand side, uh, there's a straight line. In other words, uh, the, the lifespan um, was consistent. But then the, the, line, the vertical line is the flood, I'm assuming. And then after the flood, you have a, a downward trend, a gradual downward trend uh, till the end of the page. And it's got all the names of the patriarchs on there, too. I can't tell I can understand. You, 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 you could read it this way if you thought it was important, but I don't think it's... We're just trying to point out. Right. Every one of those little black dots is a is a patriarch. You know, mm-hmm. you know Noah and then, uh, uh, Amos and Adam and Seth and you know, all these people. They were all there and they lived 600 to 800 years. Now, and then when that line, like you called it a line, occurred notice what happened it started declining right drastically too yeah it's down to what now the bible says what three score and ten, three score and ten or something 70 right. years mm-hmm. so anyway i thought that was uh it's the best i could do it was no, it's very good it was very informative Okay, after Noah and his family left the ark, they saw a rainbow. They had never seen one before due to due to the Venus-like canopy over the earth over their heads. Rainbows are created by the sun shining through the shining in the west through falling rain in the east. Have you ever seen a rainbow? Yeah, I've seen multiple and, and rainbows. Seen, one time when I was out uh, driving around, I saw a double rainbow looking wet. It only can happen. When the sun is at the other side of the rainbow, right, and so and I think generally it has to be at nighttime, uh, I mean uh, morning or afternoon, because right. if the sun is too high, it doesn't work. But after it goes like this, mm-hmm. and it's a magnificent sight. Beautiful. That's beautiful. God used the rainbow to certify to man that He would never bring a deluge on the on the earth again, the entire earth. Yeah. So. That was, apparently was was given to Noah as an explanation by God what that thing was. They never seen one before. Right. Okay. Now let's go back before the flood. The ca- catastrophic orbit of the Earth was featured by a ninety-two point one million mile orbital radius and a three hundred and sixty day year until the flyby. Okay. Now let's go back to that. Three sixty. How many degrees are in a circle? 360. Originally, what they were doing, like I think that this was like the uh, Stonehenge, they were putting a rock down for every day. They'd get up in the morning, put a rock in a circle, and go around like this. And then they'd get 360 and it's time to do it. And this also gave them a way to determine 
when to start planning. Right. 360, 360 degrees in a circle, 360 degrees of the orbit around the moon, the mm -hmm. sun. Right. Okay, now let's start talking about the flyby. It occurred as a Mars flyby, the closest of them all during the daytime, uh, Middle East time. Uh, this was the closest of some 1,270 flybys in all, flybys that ended in the year 701 B.C. Okay. Well, here we got a close flyby. Let me see if I can. I guess I'll do it later on. I'm going to show you what, what, how it worked on in the uh, these are just facts that convince you that when we see it, it'll start to make some sense. I hope. The closest of the flyby, 15,000 miles between Mars and the Earth, extremely close. In fact, another 4,000 miles closer, the Mars would have fragmented due to the sudden increase or intense arising of subcoastal tides. Uh, so in other words, we came very close to being obliterated. Right. 4,000 miles. How far... You got vague ideas how far it is to the moon? Uh, 253,000 miles. Okay. Let's say that. This is 15,000 miles away. Yeah. It's a lot closer. In other words, this is close. Yeah. That's 15 part of 365, wherever it was, how many yes. miles to the moon. So here's the moon, and that's why it's like over here. It's this mm -hmm. distance. It could have come out this, but it came this close. To the Earth. Yeah. It could have taken Mars, uh, the moon away, too, at the moon. I the right sure. Yeah. Well, we'll see that that, yeah, the, 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 tide, the moon causes tides. Right. Uh, they talk about the Bay of Fundy. I don't even know. It's someplace in Maine. Well, northeast, yeah, northeastern Canada. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. 30 feet or something? Uh-huh. Okay, so... The, the water level starts here, and as it goes in the day, it goes up, and then it goes back down. And then the next day, I think it's a daily thing. No, it's twice oh. a day, actually. Say it again? It's twice a day. Oh, really? You got two high tides and two low tides every 24 oh, really? hours. Yep. Oh, really? Oh, that Okay, that's... Okay. My mouth is too... No, that's true. I was going to give it, because my mouth is too dry, so... Oh, Okay. The, fly, the flybys were cyclic. Uh, Mars, one-tenth of the mass of the Earth, passed over only 15,000 miles distance from the Earth. At that distance, subcrustal tides would be over 10,000 feet high. Wow. Oh, my God. If the Bay of Fundy is the biggest we got, that's 30 feet. This is about 10,000 feet. Yeah. That's now, amazing. Th this was a huge tidal wave sweeping like the. Yeah. Wow. And it lasted, I guess, for two or three days. And as you'll see, it's, I probably should have put that at the beginning because you don't have to see it. To, but later, I, there was a part about doing this. I had to start from scratch. I, I had no book that was easy to read. I had to read Patton and Morris, and it's like reading PhDs. Uh-huh. So I think I, I, okay, this, okay, let's take the next step. Okay, Roach's limit. When two astral bodies approach each other, the smaller one will fragment before the collision. And the fragmentation is caused by the superior tide 
raising forces of the larger of the two bodies. Okay, understand. There's, there's the earth, and here comes a smaller body. It's not going to go like this and hit it, according to Roach's limit, which we'll define in a minute. There's a distance. Right. If it gets this close, it'll, the thing will shatter and go like this on top of the north and south pole. Huh. Not like this, straight ahead. It shatters, and apparently, for some reason, it had some sort of positive and negative charge because it went over the North Pole and underneath in the South Pole. Mm -hmm. That's the snow that we see today at the North and the South Pole. Huh. From this icy satellite. So Mars, well, we'll get to that. It had two moons, two satellites, plus another icy snowball that didn't hit the Earth. It shattered and went with this. It poured like, if you got a good example of this would be flat table and a sack of sugar. And just start pouring it. It starts out small and grows like this. Right. right? It tapers off the side. And when you're through, you got a, a, a pyramid shape. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's how close it came Roach's limit is 10,000 to 11,000 miles from our planet. Okay, now that, that it came within 15,000. That's only four. If it got, as we just said, it would came within four more thousand feet. Mars would have shattered. It would not have hit the, the Earth. Huh. Roach's limit. I know some scientists, would, and it, it worked because we're going to see. We had an icy snowball fight. Wow. Noah and his family survived a deluge by floating through it in the ark. It was on the 24th day of October in the year 2484 B.C. Now, this this is the question I had. Why is it one day? Did it just occur in one day? I don't think so. In other words, here's the earth. Well, well wait, because we'll talk about that. Because we, have, we got one planet going one way and one going the other to further complicate. Compound the problem. We'll mm. see that in a minute. In the first place, the ark was not a ship, but a barge. It had a door and three stories. The shape was a vessel designed for floating, not for sailing. It was very seaworthy and almost impossible to capsize. Okay. Dr. Morris was involved with, uh, uh, I forgot, I, I had a word for it, a big word, but he actually got or built maybe a large, uh, like this, pool of water 10 feet deep, whatever it is, and built an ark, you know, scale-wise, and then they, they got this thing to, to move and then send a wave like this and watch the ark, whatever happened from different angles. They put it this way, put it this way, this thing. And the ark, if it was built the way that they believe it was built, Right. Wouldn't sink. Mm -hmm. So it was taking 10,000 feet of water like this and not sinking. Wow. The ark was constructed with a capacity of at least 1,400,000 cubic feet. Wow. That's bigger than the trunk of your car, David. 
Yeah, it is. Statue, wouldn't you say? Right. Two trains hauling 73 such cars, each would thus uh, be ample to carry the 35,000 animals. We've already seen that the Ark had a carrying capacity equivalent to that of 522 stock cars of this size. Now, there is an Ark built. Have you heard it? Yeah, it's in Tennessee or... Shin is Cincinnati or something? No, it's in one of the... It's south of um, Ohio and south of... Um, uh, what do you call it? Indiana. Oh. I think it's in Kentucky, actually. Well, whatever. Mm-hmm. He got uh, uh, Bill Bill Nye, who's an expert scientist. Bill Nye ne- never got a PhD or didn't know he should become a scientist because the CBS liked him or something. Yeah. And he went there, and I think he didn't know what to say. He couldn't say it what because he doesn't believe it. But there it is, baby. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Mm-hmm. It's a large barge. Mm, I hear. You know? Yeah. I, I like this. No sails, no rudder. It just went with the water. That's why it probably could, if it had been some other shape, it could have been hit like this. Because if you're in board, you know, if you had a, had a pilot, it'd go like this to the water. But it could have gone like this. And it, it didn't capsize. Mm-hmm. The Bible plainly says that God directed the animals to come to Noah, not Noah go get go and search for the animals. Understand? Yes. There are there are reports. I, I read years ago in Los Angeles for the San Andreas Fault. When it, when it was what had happened, I think in 1906, the animals in the city or in the field got very nervous mm-hmm. because there was, they could sense that something's going to happen and ground's going to shift. Right. And that, that could account for some of it. But God, the Bible says God told Noah they'll come. Right. If, you build, if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. Now, this is the problem. How do I do this? Book number three. Here we go. Here's the best way. I should have done this earlier. But this is when you've got orders to fill in. Uh, there. Okay, the two orbits, right? Yeah. And one of them's going inside the orbit of the other one. So. Yeah, now, I'm going to read. And hopefully it'll explain it. This is the diagram of the two orbits that of Mars and the Earth. The larger is the orbit of Mars, and the smaller circle is the orbit of the Earth. Notice that Mars is moving clockwise. Little red arrows I put on there. Right. Okay. And the Earth is moving counterclockwise, meaning, of course, they are moving in opposite directions. The words at the A o'clock, you can't read it. We figure out about approximately eight o'clock on the clock. Right. We October twenty fourth. That's when this thing occurred. Under those circumstances, every October twenty fourth. Well, that's okay. modified, but they always happen on the same day, but a, some years between. And I'll cover that in a minute. 
Now, on the other side, at 5 o'clock, it says, hold on, flip the paper, sir. I think it says, uh, hold on, I can't get the pages separated. Okay, it says here. March 21st, this is when Mars interacts with the Earth and then continues on its orbit. Okay, now, so these things, these two catastrophes at, say, let's just say, 5 o'clock and 8 o'clock did not occur at the same time, I mean, the same year. Right. One happened, and then 54 years later, the other one happened. Mm-hmm. And then... 54 years after that, the first one happened again. So it kept going back and forth like this. So every 108 years, double to 54, this one would occur, and the same thing with this. But this would occur. Right. Mm -hmm. Back and forth, back and forth. Yes. And, and of course, the Earth is turning, turning, and patent. You'd be surprised the work that this man did to tell where it occurred. Mm-hmm. In other words, where the Earth is a ball like this, did it hit here or did it down here or over here or near what? It's all detailed. That's why this book was hard to read. Mm-hmm. This is beyond me. I can understand this. That makes right. sense to me. Okay. Notice all the pertinent parts. See, that's the problem. I had to pick through these quotes. To try to pick the right stuff because I this is this is a, a kindergarten worth of work. Okay, here's the here's the ice ball. A second feature of the flybys was the fragmentation of an ancient satellite of Mars, an ice ball. Uh, this event will only happen once during Noah's flood. Okay, so the snow the snowball was a, somehow connected. To the planet Mars, right? And it, in some one of the flybys, many years later, it it acted. But before it was still part. It was like that. Those two horns, the two Deimos, and we'll cover in a minute. Right. Those two things were over. They didn't get involved. They didn't crash. They just did go wherever they do. Mm-hmm. Now here's let's talk about what happened to the snowball. The ice ball pierced the Earth's Roche limit at 11,000 miles, and it fragmented, spraying both planets. So the, the, here's the Earth. Here's the, the limit. See, this far here. And it came in and hit this area right here. And when it did, it spent, as I've already said, it, it went over the north and the south pole. It didn't touch the equator of Brazil or Argentina or anything else. Huh. It went up and over and I forgot, I, I someplace in these one of these books, I talked Admiral Perry or somebody dug 15,000 feet and finally hit bed, bedrock. Right. 15,000 feet of ice. That's a lot. Uh, the fragments uh, began to drift down over the two magnetic polar regions at temperatures of around minus 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Did your refrigerator get that cold? No. That's got to be zero heat, almost. Yeah, absolute zero. Mm-hmm. 350, I'm sorry, 300. 
that's cold. Yeah, it is. Now, what happened? Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is a duplicate. So we covered that briefly. Now let's get back. I got them out of sequence. Had the flood been caused by rain exclusively, the ark would have not been floated at all. Okay, right? you understand? It had you know, a point under the water. So this water had to be at least that deep for it. Mm -hmm. The fact that 135 days after the waters began to recede before the dove could finally could find a living leaf is eloquent testimony in itself to the vast destructiveness of the flood. In other words, they, 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 they sent out doves and uh, raven or something. The point was, he, he was very wise. And the door said, they can tell me if they fly out and there's no place to land, they'll come back. Right. And that's the way he could tell where what, where's, how much damage was it. So he sent them out. He came back finally with a, with a fresh leaf. Yeah, you know, something in his teeth, and that meant that 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 had started the land had cleared down the bottom, no water, and some sprout up, and he picked at it. Right. Now, if all the water in just present atmosphere were suddenly precipitated, it would only suffice to cover the ground to an average depth of less than two inches. Yeah. And we got 10,000 feet of, of uh, tide mm -hmm. and two, what, two feet of water at the mansion. Now, let's cover this. Okay? Yeah. Uh, nearly all the great mountain areas of the world have been found to have fossils from these times near their summits. Who's that going to be? The land. Rose. Yeah. All the mountains. When you climb Mount, wherever it is, and the tallest mountain. Everest. Yeah. yeah. Everest, there's uh, clams or something up there. Yeah, that's what I heard. That's amazing. It really is. Estimates have run as high as 5 million mammoths are buried all along the coast of southern Siberia and into Alaska. In the snow, in the snow areas, they weren't down in Jerusalem. Right. They were in the snow. Mm -hmm. In Siberia and Alaska. I was talking about that. The mammoths died suddenly in intense cold and in great numbers. Death came so quickly that the swallowed vegetation is yet undigested in their stomachs and in their mouths. In other words, hey, Herbert, how you Well, I'm eating your meat, so I'm not going to go ahead and suddenly, bang, that fast. That's now, incredible. 350 degrees below zero, plus or minus. Maybe a little bit of warmth as it came through. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk. Grasses, uh, bluebells, buttercups, and wild beans have been found. They lived in Siberia and Alaska, yet they were consumed, consuming food 
from a subtropical environment. Interesting. They always picture the mammoths walking in snow. Right. If they're walking in snow, there's nothing to eat. Right. They were in a very plush environment. In Siberia, Huge animals that need 500 pounds a day to survive. So abundant subtropical down in Florida or something. Right. In other words, that was that that the cover underneath the canopy. There was up here there was flowers and over here there's flowers. There's flowers over here. Mm-hmm. Okay, we got another problem solved. Since the ignition experience, the sun has been losing energy steadily. During the same time, the sun has been cooling, and hence it has been shrinking in size. My God, the sun is shrinking? (laughs) That poses a real problem, doesn't it? It sure does. Someday for the future, huh? Yeah. The sun has been shrinking in our century at about a rate of about four miles in radius per year, or about 60 feet a day. This works out to about half a diameter of the shrinking every 115,000 years. In other words, how can the Earth be 16 billion years old? I can't. I think you and I talked about this uh, in another context, uh, I believe. I remember because we talked about the... uh, the the, 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 here's the sun, and then there's a bunch of planets out here. And mm-hmm. if it was big like this, these, if it was getting bigger, this little planet would get engulfed. And then, so, in other words, here's the sun right now. But you can project backwards, like you can with carbon 14 or whatever it is, all, right. the, all of these dating methods. Mm-hmm. So, once we know how much it's sinking, we can predict how big it would be years earlier. And how big big it would be as it's shrinking. Right. So we got maybe 150,000 years and this Earth's older. Does your um, research here talk about the moon, too, moving away? No, I I, I, I think I've seen comments there, but I didn't consider this to be funny. So you're right, it is going, it's only inches a year or something, it's not very much. Yeah, but, but it is you, moving away. If you went back billions of years, it would have been touching the Earth. Yes. So, yeah. For 1,000 to 1,500 years after Noah's flood, the ice is periodically melted and vaporized into the cometary wake of when Mars approached its 75 million mile per helion. Per helion. Okay, now, Mars has a tail of this melting snow. Yeah. 150,000, 75, I'm sorry. I think I have a figure. Hold on. In short, for some 1,500 years after the flood, Mars was the most spectacular comet in our solar system with a glistening tail that may have been 100 million miles long. Wow. The Bible talks about the, the people were moving with their column in front of them mm-hmm. and were seeing the tail of Mars. Huh. 
That's what it was. Wow. They saw it day and night, which is very confusing. Maybe, oh, sure. I don't know, maybe it was only during the night. I don't know. But that's, that's a common with them huge. One little planet this big with a tail millions of miles long. Quite a surprising discussion. The Hebrews viewed the western sky. They saw uh, they saw a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Mars was belching gases from the massive volcanoes. At night, its appearance was long, luminous, and re- resplendent. Um, I'm not. I won't get into that. I, I, I don't understand that, but because I just can't. This is a major catastrophe. Yeah, it is. It, it played major roles in our past mm-hmm. until something happened. Right. The planet Mars appears in the Old Testament over 200 times in a variety of no less than 10 forms. So, in other words, it's called different names, but it's always, according to Patton, it's refers to all of the major gods, Hercules, and you name them, they're all connected to Mars. Mm hmm. So in other words, we create a new um, environment, a new tribe. We have to have our own language. So let's call Mars Ares. There you go. Um, If waters from the Indian Ocean, about 3 million cubic miles, swept across the southern and central 60 of uh, Eurasia, it would be 13 million square miles. Wow. which would be inundated by the tides from the Indian Ocean, which would create an average tide of 1,200 feet. I don't think that you're going to be able to paddle that good to get up there, baby. Yeah, I've kind of ruined fishing, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of ruined fishing, too. <laughs> hey, it's not fishing, David. What's that? Oh, that's that 1,200-mile water coming towards us. Paddle like crazy, David. Yeah, right. I'll go hug to hug to hug. Keep that, David. <laughs> tides, however, do concentrate, and five thousand to seven thousand foot tides would be expected in regions where the tides would funnel or con- concentrate. So you got you got this. The water comes here, takes the twelve hundred, builds it up to be ten thousand feet, twenty two knows. Water. Mm-hmm. Wow. The, the flood was tidal in nature. Uh-huh. It wasn't rain. It was. Right. If Mars was 30,000 miles away on this occasion, its two satellites, Deimos and Phobos, could have been as close as 20,000 and 25,000 miles, respectively. If Mars was 30,000 miles distant, it would have appeared to cover 125 as much sky as it does as does the moon at 240,000 miles. So we see the little moon here, 125,000. It was visible. Uh-huh. 
Freakishly so, yeah. We're almost finished with this. Getting close. More than oh, half. Wait, I want to talk about the people are claiming Patton's crazy. Let's look at Oh, this is this is the second one. Okay. More than half of the geologists in the world work directly for oil companies and the support for many geologists and academic academic and government employment comes from petroleum. Wow. No wonder our schools are teach, teaching garbage. Yeah. The oil companies want them to use. Here's an example of our scientists. Maybe you've heard of this guy. Charles, Charles Lyle, a geologist, originally estimated the ice epoch at 1 million BC and then revised this down to 35,000 BC. He acknowledged the Error of 96%. David, if you were 96% wrong on your spelling test, did you pass? No. No. I don't want to, I don't want a surgeon that, that was, is only, you know, is, is inept either, you know? Okay, we're almost finished. These are non, non, non competing. This is, we've covered that as well as I could briefly. Mm hmm. I would like to add two observations, both of which are not pertinent to the discussion about the flood, but they are worthy of being mentioned. Okay. We've already talked about this, but I think I'm doing this for your listeners. We have all noticed that when the devil is portrayed in paint or in statue or in motion pictures, he is always shown with a red skin and two horns. The planet is red and has two satellites that could be considered as horns. It's true. So, in other words, when you're worshiping the devil, you're worshiping Mars. Mm-hmm. A red planet. Right. Horns. The devil. Yeah. Lastly, the Greeks named these two satellites, Deimos and Phobos, in 701 B.C., about 2,700 years ago. How did they see these two satellites which they had no tele- when they had no telescopes? Hmm. That by itself proves Patton is right. Yeah, yeah, they got close enough. You they had to see it. They could see the two things that were there. You can't see that at 350 million miles away. Right. The 701 was the last one. Right. Obviously, they saw the two satellites when Mars made a flyby of the Earth in the year 701 BC. Okay. Conclusion mm-hmm. It's been brief. But the best I could do, I don't. I, I tried to make it simple. It maybe everything that I said might be a little confusing, but but you could see that there's some essence here. Right. In other words, Donald W. Patton is right. Yes, sir. Now, I'm going to read this. I could just just read it. In about 1973, I had the distinct pleasure of meeting. Donald Patton. He spoke in Portland, and I attended as I, and as I was walking to the building when the, where the speech was to be, take place, 
I saw him sitting in his car before he left to start his lecture. Apparently he drove from Seattle and he got there a little early. So he was sitting on the outside, just a half block away. And I walked by and I said, that's Donald Patton. I walked up to him and I said to him, I told him how much respect I had for his information. And I told him that someday, I told Mr. Patton someday when a book when a book is written about the truly great scientists of the past, he would be in it. True. Would you agree with that? Yep. All of these PhDs are taught garbage and they're teaching millions of students in America. Right. Billions and billions and billions of billions. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. Okay, we got time? You know, uh, if it's okay, can we continue this on the next show? Okay. 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 I, I really like, maybe we can do a show earlier than next Wednesday. Yeah, we, I want to hear about this, but things okay. have come up that I have to go. So. No, that's fine. No, I don't mind. Uh, I charge the same fees and you pay up whether it's short or brief. Oh, it's nice that it's free. That's good. I didn't say free. I said, I said, it's, (laughs) let me explain to your, to your uh, listeners. I don't collect one stinking penny from this man. Now notice when you're an expert like I am, you should pay big money and get, I don't get one dime even. He won't even send me a postage stamp to send him a letter. I have to spend it. That's what, so just so we know, I'm trying to collect, and I've been trying for as long as I met this guy, not one penny, not one penny. Well, let me have a byline here. Yeah. Uh, the scripture says that everything we get, we get for free. Freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. And that's what I believe, that when you get something, you give you it. You can freely give, though. You're not freely giving. Okay, you said you have to read. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I thank <laughs> you for the opportunity. I, I know this was brief and probably very confusing, but just understand that planet Mars, for over 2,000 years, was interacting with the Earth, causing these incredible events that are described in the Bible. Right. And that is without, amazing. Without understanding that, we just accept it. I accepted that the Tower of Babel fell, but why did it fall, Mars? Right. Okay. I, I, I like hearing these things, Ralph, because they increase my faith, and they help to explain things. Yeah, you know, well, we, we hear in the Bible about, you know, this happening or that happening, but there's always a root cause of why things happen, and I like to know those things. Yeah. And when you present stuff like this, it just really helps me to understand and proves that the Bible is even more accurate and true than it did five minutes ago to me or half an hour or an hour ago to me, you know. But no no fees transferred, right? Huh? No fees transferred. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, put pressure on this man. He owes me a lot of money. Thank you, David. Once again, I sincerely appreciate their opportunity to explain this to your listeners. Tell me when it gets up on the uh, website, and I'll be happy to watch it myself. Definitely. And we'll, we'll broach the Disney subject real soon because I'm, 
I am very interested in that. I think people need to know okay. all about thank Walt Disney. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm going to end the show, Ralph, and then I'll be right there. Okay. Okay.